welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. What's better, being single or being married? It's not a question of good or bad, or even good or better, but that either is fine. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Authentic Life, with the first part of this message entitled, Authentic Singleness and Marriage, which covers 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1-7. to for more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're in a series, a team series, that uh, we're calling The Authentic Life. It's out of the book of 1 Corinthians. The, uh, the week we come to now is in chapter 7. You say, well, this hasn't been going that long, and it hasn't. We're already in chapter 7. We're picking some very specific texts throughout the book that we think in the limited weeks we have would be those that would probably be the ones we should in this congregation be highlighting. So uh, chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, let me say as you're looking that up that uh, I will be misunderstood in this message as well as next week. It's two parts. Uh, I will be misunderstood, and I know that. Whenever you talk about the subject matter we're in today, it's going to raise a lot of issues. This is about authentic singleness and marriage. So everyone included these two weeks in the subject matter. Everyone is either single or they are married. And I will be misunderstood. It cannot help but be the case. I'm among good company because the Apostle Paul who writes this is very misunderstood. And he has to say other things that come later to help explain some of the things that he said or didn't say. In fact, I don't think I'm going to be misunderstood for anything that I say. I think what will make me misunderstood is by what I did not say. And you say, yeah, but, and that hasn't been addressed. So I want to give you just a... uh, a little bit of a, of a warning there that uh, it's going to be a little bit challenging because we won't cover every issue. Another heads up, the word sex will come up in this two-week period. The text brings it up, not using the three-letter word sex, but talking about it. And I know that there are parents here that are going to say, oh, you, just, you shouldn't do that, and I've got my kids in here, and you, please, no, don't do that. Well, I would hope we could just agree to disagree, and that I don't think that's the case. First of all, the little children that, uh, that shouldn't be hearing in your opinion, I'll tell you this, they're not listening anyway. <laughs> they're, they're not going to, they're going to hear what I say. Number two, if they are listening, they won't understand it, so there won't be an issue. Of course, now every child is going to be listening to every word because of what I said. (laughs) That's not a problem. In fact, if they are, I don't believe there is a passage in the Word of God anywhere that I could not read to any of my grandchildren at any age. This is the Word of God. It's for all people. Now, I want to be careful in how I explain and what's said and But as far as what God's Word says, I think you can. Now, in light of that, I think it would be a foolish thing to think, if my child does not hear about sex in church, my child won't hear about sex. That's not true. In fact, if they're going to hear about it, I'd love for them to hear about it in the context of God's Word. So, 
with that, just a, a little bit of a, a heads up there. At the end of each of the two messages, I'm going to give three of six what I'm going to call common myths that destroy authentic singleness and marriage. So that'll kind of be a, an application, kind of bringing it together. Because the first part, uh, as I exegete the text, it, it won't be, it'll just kind of be clear cut. Here's what he's saying, here's what he means, and so forth. Then we'll come to that. Now, I have, uh, I've had the, uh, the privilege in the years past of doing a lot of weddings, in fact, hundreds of weddings. Anytime I would marry someone, I would always meet with them beforehand to interact and talk. Are you prepared for marriage? Why are you getting married? That became a very important subject matter for us to discuss. I would never marry someone that I thought was not prepared, not called of God to be married. I, I, I could say, you may be right, I may be wrong, but I can't in good conscience do that. So everybody that I married, I thought this, if what I knew, I said, I, I think this is a, a good thing. Some of them have ended in tragic divorce, deep pain and heartache. Most have stayed married, but it's a both and. And I could never spot and say, here's the one, here's not. You, you just couldn't know. Because they all seem to have several things in common. They had high enthusiasm about coming into the marriage. They had deep romance. They had, they had great belief and hope that, that this was the most special gift, the person that they're marrying, the most special gift they could have ever found. I'll put it this way. I never had anybody, when I asked the question, and why are you getting married? I never had anybody look at their, at their fiancé and says, look at him, I feel sorry for him. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, who's going to marry this person? I never heard anybody say, oh, it's a ministry. You know, this person's actually, this actually very selfish and, 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 and very mean-spirited. But, you know, I think God can use me in this person's life. It was always heavenly bliss is on its way. And I'll assure you, whatever was assumed, though it may have been very, very good, was probably not as good as they may well have assumed that it would be. I like the way one author who wrote an article in Newsweek put it, said, Americans expect a lot out of marriage. Romance, empathy, excitement, security, and often they have felt cheated by reality. Now, you may hear me having said this, saying that, Hey, marriage is a, is a very, very hard, difficult thing and uh, avoid it if possible. Not at all. If I, I can say with integrity, Carol and I have a wonderful marriage. We talk about it often, how blessed we are. We know that we can't credit ourselves to that even. Uh, I mean, God has just given a, a right match and a right way uh, for us that this, for, in His providence that we have this as, a, as something very attractive to us. So I'm not against marriage. You may hear me say things that sound like I'm saying, man, why would you get married? Why would you get married? For instance, the truth is the divorce rate, I won't say what it is because I know there's a lot of debate. Is this accurate? But you know this, there's a lot of divorces. The percentage is, is a fairly significant number. You take those that have stayed married and how many, you know it's in the double digits that are miserable, those still married. And maybe that same number who say, hey, we're married and it's not miserable, but hey, I can't say it's that great. We just have learned to live together. And, and so you would think, well, man, why does anybody get married? Because marriage is a great gift of God. The potential is wonderful, but it's never what quite we might expect it to be. 
because it's real and we don't always anticipate real, even as that author has said. The greater teaching is going to be this. A, whatever state in which you're called, you're single or you're married, be content in that state. Always to remember that content, contentment does not mean that, oh, that's what I want or I sure hope this never changes. But at the same time, God, until it does or if it doesn't, I am going to be content in the state I'm in. Now, we need to talk about that at the end. That's not an easy assignment. In fact, what we're talking about is not easy at all anyway. But I want to get into the text. Let's just see what the text has to say. Let's start with the first of four teachings that I'd like to highlight. The first being singleness is a good thing. Now, you need to understand that in Corinth, the city to which Paul is writing, uh, there is a, a kind of a, a debate going on, a lot of disagreement as to, is it better to be single? Is it better to be married? Which is really best? And some felt, oh, if you want God's best, you stay single. Oh, if you want God's best, it's marriage. And so there's a debate going on. So Paul will argue the greatness and, and some of the challenges, some of the, the benefits of both in such a way that you might think, I think really Paul has tipped his, his head a little bit there, to, uh, hand a little bit there to say, um, yeah, maybe this one's really better than that one. He's not doing that. So first he says, marriage is a good thing. Verse one reads like this. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, this is a very misunderstood text uh, because it's not to be taken literally. And some people have the idea that, oh, everything in God's Word is to be taken literal. Well, I can disprove that very quickly if you give me just a minute. I'm not going to take the time, but no, it's not meant to be taken literal. Some, much of the vast majority, yes. But there you have to learn to interpret God's Word carefully and to know what was the author intending and what's behind it and so forth. Now, in light of, of this particular text, it says it is good. That is not referring to a moral good versus a moral evil. The word literally is talking about that which is commendable or appropriate. Commendable or appropriate. What is that? Not to touch a woman. That's a, a euphemism. It's, it's, that's all it is. It's actually used to describe sexual intercourse outside of marriage. So we're not talking about touching, as we would think. It's just using a term here to refer to, they would understand that, of that which is not appropriate outside of marriage, sexual intercourse. Genesis 20, we read the text there where Abimelech says he would not touch Sarah, and we know what that means. So in context, he's just arguing here, introducing the idea that celibacy that he'll talk more about is a good thing. It is a good thing. Now let's look at number two. Marriage is a good thing. Verse two. Verse two reads like this. But because of immoralities, and he's referring there to sexual activity outside of marriage, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. Now, very simple, don't have to say much about this. Uh, it's simply saying it's good to marry. Verse 9 later, we'll get to the text next week, it's better to marry than to burn. 
And you can listen, read that and say, okay, what he's saying is, all right, you know, it's, it's better to be single, but it's better to marry than to burn. Might as well get married. Well, he's really not. But he's putting in context some of the challenges, moral issues in chapters, earlier chapters. He's talking about authentic morality. And in light of all that, he says, hey, you understand here, it, it's not a bad thing to be married. It's a good thing. And you can. And often it's the thing you should do and use this as a, as a guide to help you know the very answer to that question. Now, that debate that was going on in Corinth, uh, that debate has gone on and on through the years. In fact, as a young Christian, I was in that debate uh, trying to read God's Word and figure out what it meant. Uh, when I came to Christ and God grabbed hold of me strong, I said, God, I, I, I want to I go all the way. I want to go. Let's, what do you say I, I want to do? I may not want to, but I'm willing. I, I really believe in you. And so I started reading here, and what I read, it sure sounded to me as if Paul is weighting his argument more towards singleness. He talks about later the, the freedom and mobility, all the things that you can do, that marriage kind of holds you back, and you split your attention. You have your full attention in singleness. Those are true. I experienced that. And in doing so, I thought, well, singleness has to be the greatest. I don't know that I necessarily think I should be single for my lifetime, but it'd be good to be single quite a while to use that freedom and mobility. Well, Carol and I had started dating in college. We dated now for several years. Well into our dating you know, years together, we graduate from college, and, and so the discussion comes up very appropriately. Carol wants to know, is, you know, is marriage even in my thinking? You know, what's the future? Let's, let's get ready. We're getting out of school, ready to go different places. And what, you know, what should we be thinking? Very appropriately. And I said, well, man, I wanted to marry Carol, if nobody else. And my thought was, hey, I, I hope one day we will be married. And, and I, I sure hope it's you. And she goes, well, could we just maybe discuss a little bit about when this general ballpark that could possibly be? Well, that's what I didn't want to talk about. Because I knew, I thought through it quite a, quite a ways. And so she asked, I said, okay, I, sometime be, between years 40 and 42. She looked at me and she says, you're serious. I said, I am. She said, well, I don't think that's what God's calling me to. So he must not be calling us together. And so with that, she said, we're going to have to break up if that be the case. We did. God certainly changed my whole understanding, my mindset, my interests. Everything changed much sooner than 42, I'll assure you. In fact, it wasn't but just a year or so that I, I began to see things differently. Had a totally different perspective. But the point was, I saw it as if, hey, this is the best, this is the ideal. I can be single as long as possible and still have children. Maybe we get married a long time from now. No. I just didn't have the right view. Because the truth of it is, don't put one over the other. And I think the bigger fault, as you'll see when we get to the first myth, is we put marriage as really the ultimate and so forth. We'll address that. Let's look at number three. Marriage partners should never deprive their spouse of sexual relationship except under two conditions. Verses three through five. Here's the condition one. Mutual consent. 
Both agree this is the right thing to do. We should not now uh, be having a sexual relationship for a period and then for prayer so that we can pray or have spiritual attention or maybe find counsel or help at this time we need, but this is just a period of time. We have a lady in our church, she's a few years older than me and, and just so wise and insightful that the ladies of this church constantly flock to her if they know her and say, hey, can you help me? Can I meet with you? Can you? And I remember many years ago, she made the, the comment, she said, it's, it seems ironic that I spend so much of my time telling single women not to have sex and an equal amount of time telling married women that they should. <laughs> well, what changed? Well, I'll tell you right now, a lot of things can change, including issues that I'm not discussing now, but I'm talking about abuse. I'm talking about a lot of stuff that's going on in a lot of homes. Now, now we're in a whole different subject matter. We're talking about there are other issues. I'm not doing that here. But I just want you to say, if you think, okay, this is the, you know, I can go home to my spouse and say, okay, you heard that, didn't you? Hey, there's another side to that story. And we're not able to get into that side. But in general, he's saying this, marriage, marriage is given this great union together. And it meets needs of one another. And the whole idea is to meet the need of the other person. That's what we're really to be doing. It's really the same story that Jesus taught. You know, Jesus in his ministry, you know it. He, he just went around saying, hey, look, here's the deal. Give and it should be given to you. Serve. Don't look to be served. And he's, Apostle Paul, under inspiration, is just applying this now to a marriage relationship and saying, you know, the way it works is you're there for them. Oh yeah, they're there for you. And when both take that attitude, that's what builds a great marriage. You know, sexual relationship is a wonderful barometer to a relationship. And I know that can be very painful for some to think, oh my goodness, but it is true. And therefore, he says, here is the norm. Here's what should be happening. Basically two teachings saying, Sexual responsiveness, it's a priority over everything but prayer. That's how important it is. And he's also teaching that sexual unresponsiveness, I mean, it really is. It's, a, it's inviting the evil one to take a foothold in the relationship. So he's given this simple instruction to say, in marriage, this is the way it's designed to be. And you want to get as close to that as you possibly can. That's his teaching. Number four in the final is this. Both single and married should live contently in the state in which he or she is called, realizing that marriage is the norm and singleness is the easiest. And I know it's verses six and seven. It's later in the text, we'll see next week, where you really see the easiest part, where he says it's just a little bit easier. You're not distracted and so forth and so on. We won't get to that now. But here's the text. This I say. What is this? He's referring back to verse 2. He's talking about freedom to marry. He says, by way of concession, which can be misread to say, okay, you're really saying, okay, it's better here, but okay. 
No, it's not. He's saying it is good to be married, but you don't have to be married. Later, he's going to say, I wish you were as I am. That's Paul. He's talking about him being single. Did you know that, did you know that there's a high likelihood that Paul at one time was married? We take that simply by the fact that being a part of the Sanhedrin earlier on, that was a requirement to be married, that he was probably married. Is he now divorced? Is he a widower? We don't know. It's possible, it truly is possible, that he could be divorced. Which says a lot to some of us here who says, man, look what's happened in my life, and look at the, look at the check on my life, all this happened, and oh my goodness, now God's not... Now, let me tell you, God forgives, even if you're the responsible one for it. And so many here are not the responsible one. You would have given anything. You, you worked hard to keep a marriage. God forgives. And let me tell you, there's never going to be any sense of second-class citizen. There are consequences, but I'll assure you this, one of the consequences is not God's full abundant love given to you. None of that would ever be taken away. So just important to be aware of that. Now, when he says, not a command, meaning no one feel compelled that you've got to be married, nor do you have to stay single, he said, that is for you to determine God's call. Now, once you're in that call, he's going to give some more instruction, and that's going to be next week for those who are in the call and those who are out of the call of marriage. He's going to address, in verses 8 and following, the unmarried first. Then he's going to address the married. Then he's going to address those who are married to unbelievers and whose spouse is willing to stay in the marriage, even though you're a believer. Then he addresses those who are married to unbelievers and whose spouse says, I want out of this marriage because you're a believer. I don't want to be a part of this marriage. You have different values, different beliefs, whatever. He gives instruction to them. Then he gives instruction to widows. Then he gives instruction, or first of all, to unmarried women and then to widows. So we've got a, a whole number of people he'll give some specific instruction to. So that just tells you where we're headed next week. Now let me give you the first three of six common myths. I'm going to put the first up, comment briefly on them. Number one, marriage is a better gift than singleness. I know there's a myth that says singleness. I was following the myth. Singleness is better than marriage. But there are not that many people believing that. It seems to be the real issue today. More people are thinking, hey, you know, marriage is the ultimate. That's, everybody wants to, you certainly hope my child gets married. I certainly hope we, you know. In, in fact, there, there tends to be a, a problem that so many marrieds are so insensitive to singles that it just comes out in different ways. Talk to some older singles. See if they won't tell you. It's like, oh, you're how old? And you're not married? Oh, well, I'll pray for you. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. They're on equal. Marriage is a good thing. It's the norm. We know that. But it does not mean that something's wrong if not. Not at all. In fact, let's honor the singles. Those that are in the kingdom who are focused on the kingdom of God, let me tell you, they do have freedom of mobility. They have freedoms that marriage don't have. I lived it for the longest. I know. In fact, 
I know some of these stories, some of y'all have heard, old timers and all, but I, I just, it fits so well. I think you need to just kind of get the, a personal experience, and mine's my only experience that I really know well. But I know this, when I was a single out of college in ministry, I was working at a church, I was involved in singles ministry. God was using it in a great way. I loved what was happening. I'd wake up in the morning, and I'd say, let's go, Lord, and I'm gone, and I may come in at midnight, and God was using me in ways, very exciting ways, and I was so thrilled with that. God led me to be married. Carol and I had come together as marriage. I loved Carol very much, was excited about marriage, but knew that God had given me a great ministry, and now she was living out of state. We'd be married in her hometown, which was out of state from where I was, and then she would join me for our first Mary, our first days married after our honeymoon would be in the city where I was serving. And so she comes into the ministry with me. I get ready to leave the next morning after our honeymoon, three or four days, whatever, five, whatever we had. We come back from the honeymoon and I'm ready to leave the next morning. All's good. Carol says, Randy, what time do you want to have dinner tonight? Man, that hit me. I went, what time? I don't know. I mean, I just go till dinner needs to be done, you know? I don't know. So I say, I don't know. What time do married people eat? <laughs> she says, well, I don't know. I always just say, six o'clock. I said, okay. She said, just be home a little before six, and I'll try to have dinner ready. Okay. Oh, man, that, I, I didn't know how. Well, come five, five thirty, whatever. I'm going and I'm thinking, I gotta go home for dinner. So I go home and I sit down while she's finishing dinner. And I sit down and I'm thinking, oh no. <laughs> this is what I'm gonna do every night. <laughs> Ministry ends. And so, you know, the discussion is, well, you know, Carol, what do you wanna do? What are we gonna do? And, you know, well, we'll be together. And I'm thinking, doing what? I was like, I've been doing a lot of things, and now I'm doing the same thing every night, and I love you, but, you know, now I couldn't say those things. I certainly didn't tell her what was really happening in me. The first and only time I've ever had depression started that day, and I said, oh, God, I made a mistake. It is true. It's better to be single than to be married. Now, let me tell you, that didn't last long. God showed me how she became my helpmate. And I saw I lost certain opportunities. I gained other opportunities. It was a switch off. I'm thankful that God, very thankful God gave me marriage at that time to her. So please don't hear me wrong. But, but I'm telling you, there really is this whole idea that, you know, one is better than the other. Well, I think the bigger issue is the people who think marriage is the best. There's your ideal and if you don't get married, you've missed something. Well, yeah, you've missed something, but it's not worse. He says they're both good. Now, number two. Number two, a good marriage should and will fulfill my greatest need. What a lie. <laughs> not true. Oh, it meets some needs, obviously. But, you know, they say the, the universal needs uh, of, of people are companionship, understanding, and acceptance. I'm sure there are many others, but that's kind of the, all right, you hear those three. Well, let me ask you who are married. Just the, be honest. 
Any of you ever felt distant from your spouse? Well, of course. Well, it's supposed to be companionship. It's not always companionship. What about understanding? Do you ever, have you ever felt misunderstood by your spouse? (laughs) The people who laugh the loudest have experienced it the most, I do think. No, we've all experienced it. Well, no, they don't always understand. Obviously not. Hey, ever felt neglected by your spouse? You know it. Absolutely. But that's acceptance. Well, it's not perfect acceptance. I like the way Ruth Graham, Ruth Graham put it well, speaking to women, given the great truth, let me tell you, only God, only Jesus can meet those needs. This is the way she says it. It is a foolish woman who expects her husband to be that which only Jesus Christ himself can be. Always ready to forgive, totally understanding, unendingly patient, invariably tender and loving, unfailing in every area, anticipating every need and making more than adequate provision. That's the description of Jesus for sure. Number three, this to me is where you got to, um, this is not just for marriage. It's not just for singles who are adults. This is for kids. This is for youth. This is for everybody. Though it's applied to marriage, it's true in all of life. The goal of marriage is my own personal happiness. No, it's not. Many of you have heard me share the stories of my counseling through the years and meeting with people who are Christians and, and me having the, uh, to ask them, you know, about, about their marriage and so forth and say, you know, and they say, well, I, I, I'm getting a divorce because, I don't know, he just doesn't meet my needs anymore. She just doesn't meet my needs. There's no biblical grounds, and there are biblical grounds for divorce, but not just doesn't meet all my needs, I'm just missing, you know. And, and I say, well, wait just a minute. Uh, are you a Christian? Yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. Well, what do you want? What do you want most out of life? And I hear this. All I want is to be happy. That's all I really want. And when I hear them say, that's it, that's what I want, I'm not asking much, I just want to be happy. I can't be happy with him. I can't be happy with her. Then you know what my response is. And my response is to say, you need to get divorced. Because obviously marriage is not making you happy. In fact, it is making you unhappy. But then I have to say, do you understand that You've missed the whole purpose of living. The purpose that you are living is not to be happy. The purpose for living is to bring glory to God, which brings happiness. You have shortcutted the route and it isn't working. You go through giving God glory. Now, when you start saying, I'm married for the glory of God, oh, God gives, gives permission to leave marriages biblically. But that doesn't mean that every unhappy person, people say, you're telling me that God wants me to be in an unhappy marriage? And my answer is, absolutely. Let me ask you this, and I'll respond back. And I'd say to them, do you think God wants someone to stay in a chair as a paraplegian or quadriplegian? Do you think that, you think 
God wants them to commit suicide or they have the right to because they can just leave it because I say, no. See, we do live in a broken world. We live in broken marriages. We live in broken bodies. And there's sometimes God says, I'm going to heal. He doesn't always heal. Sometimes he says there's a biblical escape from something like certain marriages. Absolutely there. But at the same time to say, oh, if it's not happy, therefore it's not the will of God. No, that is absolutely contrary to truth. Happiness is not the goal of marriage. Oneness, Ephesians 5. You're one. And there's a lot of purpose in marriage. And if it is designed and using it for the glory of God, you watch. Now there can be experienced happiness. Here's what I'm saying. You can have a great life being single. You can have a great life in an unhappy marriage. But you have to live to the glory of God. That's the bottom line. Let me conclude. Singles, any of you disappointed with God? I bet there are. You feel you need a you need to be married in order to be happy? If that's the feeling, then that's an idol. And idols don't make us happy people. Focus on the kingdom. Boy, there's a lot to delight in in being single. There's a lot of avoidance of pain by being single. God has you there? Man, focus on his love, his kingdom. Marriage. Do you feel that God is robbing you of your happiness? Don't believe that. You can still be happy even if the marriage does not become happy. And you can work on it and you should. And God can change marriages just like he can heal any kind of brokenness. But when he doesn't, don't buy the lie, I can't be happy because I'm married and I can't be. Any more than the single would say that. Not at all. If you feel like you have to have a happy marriage to be happy, then you've got an idol. Something that God does not want. And then the very last thought is this. Marriage is a picture of union with Christ. You know that, don't you? It's a picture. And we can make the same mistake coming into marriage with Christ that we have a marriage with people. And that is this. We think, okay, I'm going to get married to, to the Lord and I'll become a Christian and everything's going to be wonderful. And it's not so wonderful. And then we're disillusioned with God because he didn't make you happy. But what we're missing is this. He says, no, you give glory to me and you will find the byproduct is happiness. If you go after happiness through anything or anybody, you will not be a happy person. Young people, learn that now. Learn it now. Don't bypass the glory of God. Go to the cross and see his great love. And you see that great love You'll want to bring glory to him, and that's what will give you happiness. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege that we have now to just be able to come to you and make requests. And my request for my friends here today, whether I know them or not, is God, let them find happiness. And may they find it through your glory. And would you bless in singleness, bless in marriage. 
Give us hearts to follow after you. See your love through the cross. We ask it in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.